Welcome to the May Contain Wine Podcast, brought to you by Wine, Women, and Wellbeing. I'm your host, Lisa Webb, and together we're going to get to know incredible women doing all kinds of interesting things. So grab a glass and get ready to be inspired by the amazing women in our global community. Melinda Kalazi is the founder of Women Who Rock and Pitch Consulting. She's been a leader at global companies like Live Nation, Ticketmaster, Showclicks, and she's a graduate of Berkeley College of Music. Women Who Rock has united some of the biggest names in music to rock the future of women's health and hosts an annual benefit concert featuring a 100% female-founded music lineup with proceeds benefiting McGee Women's Research Institute. Melinda's background in the entertainment industry has spanned from working with Aerosmith, The Late Show with Stephen Colbert, Comedy Central, and Sheila E. Melinda was also a 2020 finalist for Adweek's The Future is Female Award. Staying true to her first passion of music, Melinda is a national recording artist and lead singer of a blues rock band, Melinda and the Night Sky. In 2020, Melinda and the Night Sky collaborated with an exclusive beer with the North Brewing Company, which won the prestigious Art Brew Award. Hello, Melinda. How are you? Hi, Lisa. I'm great. I'm so happy to be here today. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm excited to chat with you and talk about all of these things. That is a pretty impressive and fully loaded bio. You've got a lot going on. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about like, how did this all, like, like I said, it's a lot. How did it all happen? Where did your love for music come from? When did it start? I feel like just everything I've done in life, it all goes back to that core love of music. And I knew at a very early age that music definitely was a calling of mine. Um, I started playing piano and then I moved on to flute. And then I was 13 years old and just the rock and roll bug hit me. I knew I had to have an electric guitar. So from that moment on, when I started to play electric guitar, um, that led me to sing and started to perform, you know, throughout high school. Um, but then it was, you know, it's when I took that leap and I attended Berkeley College of Music that I knew that this was more than just a hobby, that the music business and performance side of it would be, you know, what my, my main path was in life. I'm thinking like moms everywhere are, are going, oh my God, an electric guitar at 13 years old. Cause the mom in me, that's instantly what I think when I just like the patience were your parents musical. No. And I had a really awesome mom for buying me that electric guitar at that young age, but yeah, they, nobody in my family is musical. Now they are definitely uh, fans and appreciate great music. You know, really funny story. My mom always told me this story that when she was pregnant um, and, you know, I was, you know, rumbling around and kicking around as soon as she put Frank Sinatra on just total silence. Um, really? So yeah. You know, I just think it's one of those things that you know, you know, you know, you just, when you know, you know, <laughs> it reminds me of so the teacher and me as well in grade four in Canada. Do you know what the recorder is? I don't know if you guys call it something. Oh different. yeah. We had like the squeaky that. recorder, uh-huh. right? That's like in the current Canadian curriculum, all students in grade four learn the recorder. And it is like the joke amongst parents of students in grade four and like every music teacher, you're like, Oh my God, the recorders put away the recorders for the love of all things. Holy. And I, and I feel like your mom was probably like, 
this is going to be good for her. She's going somewhere, but like, I mean, once you got good, okay. But learning the electric guitar feels like it might be loud. It was loud. And <laughs> um, it was painful too. I always tell people that, you know, especially when you're, you're young, right. Whether you're, you know, just starting out, especially with guitar, it really hurts your hands a lot because you have, say you have little like- fingers, right? that you have little fingers and you have to build up those calluses um, to really like dig in and play. And um, it, it's challenging, but you stick with it and then, you know, it just becomes second nature. Okay. Let's talk a little bit about Berkeley because that is like the school. That's pretty, a pretty big deal. What was it like, like arriving at Berkeley and your experiences there and the people that you met? I absolutely loved it. It was an environment like no other, having so many talented musicians all in one space um, and from all over the world. I mean, I was just exposed to so many different cultures and so many different types of music. You know, you walk through the halls 24 seven, there's music blaring, um, recording studios are open 24 seven. So just that constant, constant creativity, collaboration. Um, I absolutely loved it. And, you know, it, it really did set me up, I think, for so much of my future success because of your classmates and your teachers and the alumni network that they have. Um, I remember somebody when I was there um, had told me, you know, after you graduate, just make sure you're always, you know, paying attention. Who's on that TV? Who's on stage? And it's happened so many times. I I used to actually sit next to uh, Annie Clark at Berkeley, who's now St. Vincent. So it's awesome just to see like all of those colleagues just you know, flourish in their music career. So yes, I absolutely loved attending. Very cool. And so from there, is that where the Aerosmith piece came in? Like, cause you went from there to the exec kind of, what was the path after? Yeah. Berkeley's a little bit different because it is a music school and they offer. So the way it works is you're first accepted based on an instrument and you do have that path of studies that you're focused on performance and private lessons and music theory. But okay. So what was your instrument? I'm going to, sorry, I interrupted you. Was it yes, the- no, my oh. instrument was voice. It wasn't guitar. Voice. Okay. It was voice. So you went in on voice and then what happened? And then you pick a major. And I thought music business is probably a good thing to focus on because let's face it, you know, I think it's not only important to have, to have a career, um, aside from performing, but I think it's also really important. I think so many people forget that music is a business and I really think more musicians should really learn the ins and outs of the music business. So that was my path, but back to your original answer, there was this really interesting endowment award at Berkeley that was given by Aerosmith. And it was, the criteria was that you had to be studying music business along with your performance. So I fell in that criteria. And the year I received the award, um, I was actually part of an all-girl rock band at Berkeley that was put together by some pretty mega songwriters and producers that just received a developmental deal with Epic Records. So they had known about the success of the band and um, they gave me that award. But then that led to, after um, the year later, me interning for Aerosmith in Boston. So that's how that story all comes together. Did you see my face when you said I was in an all-girl rock band? I was like, <laughs> yes, she's so cool. <laughs> and so you were doing um, intern was how long was your internship? What was that? What was it like? Did you fangirl a little bit, or did oh, you have oh, that all yeah. under control? I totally did. I mean, Aerosmith <laughs> was 
one of the main reasons that I discovered Berkeley, because obviously they were from Boston and they were a huge influence on me. I mean, they're my favorite band of all time. So having the opportunity to actually work for them. Now I didn't work hundred percent directly with them. It was with a management company that helped them with a lot of their, um, you know, behind the scenes support, but still, I mean, I'm going to answer the phone Steven Tyler would be on the phone and I'd be like, yeah, like screaming deep down inside. So yeah, I did fangirl a little bit. I guess so. And from there, you went into the exact, exact part of your story, of your journey. Yeah. You know, I, I graduated from Berkeley um, and then all of my friends were either moving to New York or Nashville or Los Angeles. I grew up in Pittsburgh and then lived in Boston, which was so cold. And I just kind of had it. I was like, why don't I give Los Angeles a try, right? And have some nice weather. And Berkeley obviously had a fantastic network out there because the industry is there. So I decided that um, after the all girl rock band fell apart, I decided that let's move out to LA and let me see, you know, see what the scene's like out there. I did dive more into the business side. Um, I, I always performed and I recorded out there and, you know, my music is my main passion. I think it's really sad that a lot of times people think that they have to give that up, you know, in life for whatever reason. So no matter what I'm doing, I'm always going to be performing. I still record and perform to date. Um, but it just, you know, I had some lucky breaks in the business side of it. Um, I worked for Universal Records. Then I went on to Live Nation and I worked in their uh, global sponsorship department for about five years. So it just, that's the path that it led me down. At what point did you, maybe it was something you always noticed, but at what point did the gender gap mm. in music become glaringly obvious to you? It became pretty glaringly obvious when I went to Berkeley. <laughs> um, I think at the time, the uh, male to female ratio was like one to seven. And that was actually, I think, progress. Um, now, it, it's much better, I will say, today. But at the time, there was a, a glaring gender disparity. And then, of course, when I worked in the industry, it was very, very... Um, obvious that in those VP and C-level positions in the industry, you did not see women very often at all. And I think it's a little bit also of the nature of the type of music that I perform. You know, I, I perform very much um, gritty rock blues, and I'm, I'm very much a rock singer. And I think that it's just one more place, even on the performance side, it was obvious that we needed more equality. And so from there... What came first? So now you have, you have wear many hats. So you have women who rock. Tell us first about women who rock. Yeah. Women who rock. I started, um, very much because of that gender disparity and, and we'll get into the, uh, other gender disparity that is also very much tied to women who rock in our mission. But I always wanted to start a showcase that would really put a spotlight on female musicians. So um, I just didn't get around to it when I lived in LA, um, but I moved back to Pittsburgh. And when I moved back to Pittsburgh, I very much again saw that 
we needed, there were all these amazing female musicians in Pittsburgh and I, I just never heard anything about them. Like I really had to kind of, you know, find them and dig for them. And they weren't playing on the rock stations here and they weren't on the, the benefit lineup. So long story short, um, that's where Women Who Rock was born from. And Women Who Rock is, it's a crusade to champion both women in music and women's health related issues and research. And we host an annual benefit concert that features a 100% female front end music lineup. The proceeds from that benefit concert help to fund life-saving women's health research at McGee Women's Research Institute, which also just happens to be here in my hometown of Pittsburgh. Um, they're the nation's largest research institute dedicated to women's health. And we have a lot of work to do to make women's health an even playing field as well. That's amazing. And it's amazing that you can do that at home, which is something pretty special, I think. Yeah. Was there a little bit, did that come naturally to you? Like just for, for anyone listening, who's thinking that they want to do something like big and grandiose and like their big scary dream and these massive projects, was it a natural, like, yeah, I can do this. Did you have imposter syndrome? What, like, how did that all feel? You know, it just felt like it was natural. Like I had to do this and it just, now I'm not saying that there weren't challenges and, you know, I, I started this. So the very first benefit concert was at the hard rock cafe, a very small room, about 300 people. But at the time, um, I had no, no support from anybody. So I just basically took my credit card out and paid for the venue guarantee <laughs> and knew that I was going to self-fund this. And we were going to, you know, make sure no matter what that we donated back to our, our beneficiary McGee Women's Research Institute. But yeah, there were, there were some hurdles for sure getting this thing off the ground. And like you said, when you think of Pittsburgh, you don't really think of like a music hub, right? Yeah. So I think a lot of people probably were now, I will say for people that think about going to a big city. I don't think I ever could have done this unless I would have left and worked in other cities and industries um, and had that experience. I don't think I could have done this in Pittsburgh, but at the same time, there are so many reasons why it makes sense in Pittsburgh. So yes, I think that like, no matter what you're dreaming, just, you have to just take the first step and do it. I never thought that Women Who Rock would become what it is today. Um, it just has taken on a life of its own, but yeah, you just got to make that first step and do it. And I think it's important to remember that you didn't go with, you didn't go in with the vision and maybe some people do, but it can be a lot harder to go in picturing what you're doing right now. Like you went in thinking like, okay, I'm going to get this 300 person venue and I'm going to fill it and I'm going to make a donation, even if it's out of my pocket, because this is on my credit card, I'm getting the points. Like <laughs> I can very much relate to that experience. Um, but then it's kind of like, I think no matter what people are doing, it's important to remember that once you make that first step and and you kind of, you hurdle the bar or you like, you clear it and you're like, oh, I did that. That was awesome. I can do that again. And then you can make it a little bit bigger and just grow from there and kind of grow from your own experiences. And then it's a very cool thing to look back at that moment where you pulled out your own credit card and, and just at the growth that can come by taking the first step. Yes. You never know exactly what you just said. You don't know what 
anything is going to become. I mean, we're getting ready to launch a merchandise line. Did I ever envision that we'd have a full Women Who Rock merch line? I mean, you know, when I started that benefit concert, no, but now it's just the next natural progression to this whole thing. Absolutely. I'm picturing it like under a blazer. I don't even wear blazers, but I'm like, I'm, I'm seeing your logo there and I'm like, yeah, that's got to be on a shirt. Of course it does. Because also women who rock is like the perfect name because that could just mean all of the things, right? So yeah. you also have a company called a consulting firm. Is that what would we call it? A consulting firm, a company pitch consulting. Yeah, it's a very boutique, you know, consulting agency that I help people specifically around sponsorships and, you know, having an event, right? Having a blank slate of things to sell. How do you package them up to really make a brand want to buy it? And number two, how do you pitch it to get someone's attention? You know, half of the battle is just getting that first meeting or call. And there's an art to that. You know, you have to kind of have the right pitch deck and the right email blasts and, um, or I should say email template, never blast. <laughs> um, and, and knowing like really how to, how to engage a brand that you're not forcing a sponsorship on them. You're listening to them and you're building something that is valuable to them. You'll always get the deal if you do that. So I do a lot of that, a lot of PR, social media strategy, and just general sales practice, you know, sponsorship is very much sales. So once you have all these great materials and this great event to pitch, how do you then really put your biz dev hat on and go out there and, and get engagement? And was this something that organically came from you having to do this? Like you said, you started on your own. Is that where it sort of came from? Was that the root? A little bit. I mean, my past has really, um, the, the job that I moved home to Pittsburgh for, I was the head of biz dev. So it was a lot of sales um, and partnership building. So I basically just took those skills and then decided I wanted to go out on my own with pitch consulting. Um, Women Who Rock was a result of that, actually, because when I went out on my own, one of the things that I, I wanted to do under pitch was to produce Women Who Rock. Um, so that's how that started as well. So you wear a million hats and being, being an entrepreneur to one company, one area of focus is hard enough. And you have all, all of these amazing things going on. How do you not fall into a slump? Like how do you get up every day and do the freaking hard work? Cause it is, it's hard sometimes like endless, tireless, thankless, all of those things. It can be a lot. Where do you find your motivation? My motivation is, especially on the women who rock side of it, um, I'm making a difference through that work. And, and we have women all the time that DM us on social media or, you know, shoot me an email a couple years down the line and say, you know, Melinda, I'm applying to get my master's degree. You know, we have internships, right? So we have mm -hmm. a lot of younger women that are helping us too, and that we're teaching and, um, they'll just say, listen, you, this internship and in working for women who rock gave me the confidence to, you know, apply to law school or, to, you know, with my music career, we, we hear this all the time because we always have, 
you know, smaller events that are happening that we want to bring local music into an emerging talent. And that's really big for me to help nurture other musicians. So, you know, we have people that come back and say, I got my first big break on stage because of women who rock. And then on the health side, my goodness, like so many, you know, so many women that through the research dollars that were um, funding that we hear these patient stories and it's just mind blowing. So I think that it's that greater good that um, not always in your career that you see that so firsthand. So that that's what really keeps me going. Being a part of something bigger, that's so special and not, not everyone gets to say that and, and to be kind of behind the steering wheel, behind the mic, we'll say in your case um, for that. How have you had to, like the whole world has had to do some kind of crazy COVID dance the last year. How has the last year in, in this pandemic affected women who rock affected you? How, what have you had to do to navigate through that? It's been a challenging year for me and everybody else in the world. Um, we had our biggest lineup to date scheduled for women who rock 2020 and I'll never forget, it was, you know, middle of March and our show is typically in May because May is Women's Health Month. So we like to align with that month. And I was sitting on my sofa and it's just when, you know, things were starting to get like, hey, what's going on here? And CNN breaking news, Rita Wilson and Tom Hanks diagnosed with COVID-19. Well, Rita Wilson is a fantastic singer songwriter and was scheduled to be the guest star at Women Who Rock. And my heart just sank. And I knew Thank, it broke all of the buried. Above. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh. I poured a big glass of wine. I bet you did. On a wine podcast. And, um, you know, I, I knew at that point deep down that there was not going to be a concert that year. So we, we just went virtual and I mean, I've never done anything virtual and um, I just, didn't have an option, right? I, I, I had to keep our mission moving forward and was working with an incredible team, you know, both on the Women Who Rock, we have a event committee and the team at McGee Women's Research Institute. And we did some pretty amazing stuff. I mean, we, uh, we did a virtual concert series in partnership with Gibson Guitars that raised over $50,000. And it, it, you know, partnering with a brand like that got, women who rock out into the world in, in a way that bigger than the benefit concert typically does. So that was, you know, that was how we adapted, but not having live music. It, I mean, it was really hard. It was a hard year. Yes. But you navigated it with grace. Thank you. I'm, I'm going to, to say again, I want to, I want to circle back a little bit to the piece on the gender gap and mm -hmm. the fact that you are, shattering, shattering the ceiling on that. I, I will say like, you're just doing such an amazing job and you yourself are, um, a singer, a performer, you're in a band. How do you, how do you make yourself stand out as a female in this industry? That's a great question. Um, you know, just to think a little bit more on why and how a lot of people will say, well, why women who rock, you know, and, and why, why is everyone talking about all the, the gender disparity and music and, and women's health? Like, come on, are you guys just like sitting back and whining? And no, the answer is no, because, you know, 
this needs to be, I think, you know, my thing is let's just get to an even playing field because from my experience being a performer, I can tell you many, many times I'm the only female on a lineup. And, you know, there was a study that came out a couple of years ago by Pitchfork that across all music festivals in the United States, only 19% of that lineup is female fronted or a female act. And when you look at women's health research, um, women's health research, um, clinical studies in research didn't even include women until 1992. That's insane. Think about that. That's that's crazy. It's crazy. So that still is like so understudied. So, um, so how do I make myself stand out? I just wanted to, you know, kind of go through a little bit of that and, and just why we have to stand out. Why you need to make yourself stand out. It's necessary. Right. Exactly. But I always like to kind of when, especially when I'm on stage, I like just like let my music and my voice do the talking. Um, I think that singing is one of the most powerful instruments because no two people have the same voice. No two people interpret a lyric or an emotion the same way. And, um, you know, my voice tends to be a little bit lower and grittier. So I think it stands out from a typical female voice. So I always say, let, you know, let the music do the talking there. Nice. What's your favorite performance you've ever done? Or one that like stands out for you? Like it might not have been like the biggest show or What's the one that's your favorite memory? About two years ago, we were asked to open up for the original B.B. King touring blues band that played with B.B. his whole entire career. His daughter now is the singer of it. And I'm a huge blues fan. I, you know, I've studied it and I think it's just such an important part of our history and, and really blues led to every other contemporary music, rock and roll, hip hop. So um, just, you know, being on that stage, sharing that bill with them and thinking about the history and and what they must have experienced on the road and together as a family, um, that was pretty amazing. That's very cool. So we have our manifest tour coming up in 2022. I'm a big believer in manifesting, going big, what are your, what are your next plans? What are you manifesting for when the world, like we're starting to get there, things are starting to open back up and feel slightly normal again, more so for you guys in the States. Um, you're a little bit ahead of us, but what are you manifesting? What's next for you and for women who rock? We've been working on this merch line for quite some time and it's really close to being released into the world. So I'm really excited about that, but that's the next big thing um, that you'll be hearing from us. That is very exciting. I can't wait to see it. I'm going to ask you a couple of questions um, from our, our wine, women and wellbeing repertoire. So if you could sit down and have a glass of wine with one woman who is living or dead, who would you like to sit down with? Janice Joplin. Or I was, I was, you know what? I was just going to say, or for you, like, who would you like to play with? Who would you like to get on stage with? That might be a more fitting, more fitting question for you. I will both drink wine and go on stage <laughs> with Janice Joplin. <laughs> like, I'm not picky. I will do it all. Whatever she wants to do. I'll color a picture with her, whatever. <laughs> uh, if you, um, what's your favorite book recommendation? There's a really great book called The Art of War that is just, if you're creative and, and just, you know, not uh, art 
specific, you know, I think a lot of the blocks that we have sometimes as musicians is the same. I mean, you plan events, you're, you know, doing Mm -hmm. this podcast, you know, there's a creativity that goes into that, that sometimes just gets a little bit stifled. So there's a, it's just a really fantastic book that helped me think of art and your work ethic as more, you know, I think some people wait for the inspiration to hit Mm -hmm. and that's not a really solid uh, path to success. So it's more of that art of uh, daily doing, you know, just committing, sitting down, putting your pencil to the pad or, you know, going after those sponsors or your next event. So I would really recommend that. Perfect. What is your go-to self-care or well-being practice? I love to be outside hiking, walking, running, just being connected with nature really helps with the wellness. And what advice would you give to your 16 year old self? That not to um, focus so much on trying to be perfect, not trying to write that perfect song or you know, I think again, just getting something out there in the world. I think that um, I, especially on the music side, just always, I, I, I let the perfection halt progression a lot of the time. So I would tell myself, just write a bunch of, uh, going back to Aerosmith, I, there was this great quote by Steven Tyler, you know, you got to write a bunch of songs that suck to get to that one that's really good. And I think that that's really important. And I think that is applicable to anything, whether you are, you know, a cook in a test kitchen, like you got to make a bunch of crappy recipes before one is good. If you're, if you're writing a blog or whatever, like any kind of creative outlet that you have, you got to suck first. You got to, if you're a runner, you've got to suck before you can get your stride. I think that's just something to remember kind of straight across the board and whatever it is we're doing. Right. Yeah. And you got to be okay with sucking because people who are not okay with sucking at something oftentimes don't want to try something new because they don't want to suck first. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's a little life lesson for us, right? There you go. Linda, I want to thank you for, for being here with me today and more so as, as a mom of two little girls, I want to thank you for just being a strong woman who is like paving the way for those who are coming behind her and, and leading by example in such a, freaking awesome way. You rock. Dare I say you rock. (laughs) I I can't help myself. It's right behind you. They can't see it, but I can. Thank you so much. And thank you for shining a spotlight on so many women, you know, uh, having these types of conversations and these types of opportunities to put out into the world, what we're doing and, and just sharing inspiration, right? There's life lessons that we all share and we all get inspired from, and we can't share those unless we had people like you. So thank you. Well, that's amazing. And I, and I do think it is important. Both of us, we're in two completely different, um, same, same, but different kind of, because we have a lot of similarities in what we do yet. We're in different aspects. And I do think that the more we get to know other people and what they're doing, the more inspired we are, the more willing we are to try new things and just the, the better people we become by knowing other people's stories. So thank you for sharing yours. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Okay. I look forward to our paths crossing again. Yes, I do too, Lisa. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening friends. If you like what you've heard, subscribe and recommend us to a friend. 
Head to winewomenwellbeing.com to find out more about what our community is all about and reach out to us on social media. We'd love to connect. Until next time, stay classy, stay kind.